This is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Worst of the pandemic, at least in the U.S., seems to be behind us. Half of American adults fully vaccinated. Infection rates, the number of people in the hospitals falling. Is people feeling good? It's such a difference from where we were in the winter. But with this return to normal of sorts come new issues. Should we keep wearing masks? Can schools go back to normal? With us to discuss all of this and more about COVID is CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Sometimes things sound like a good idea in theory, but not in practice. That's why we say it looks so good on paper. Uh, That might be the case when it comes to working from home once the pandemic officially ends or launching some kind of hybrid system. But let's begin with the director of the CDC, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Doctor, uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, How do you describe where we are today in terms of the uh, pandemic right now? I think we have so much reason to be hopeful in this country. And so I have a lot of cautious optimism for where we currently are. I'm not quite ready to declare victory here. This pandemic has given us quite a few curveballs. Um, but I do think we have a lot of reason to think about a really bright future ahead. Some of the things that give um, that that make me think that is, is as our case rates are coming down and our vaccine rates are going up, we really are seeing less disease, less hospitalization, and fortunately less deaths. Um, what worries me sort of in the big picture is what I would call the non-uniformity or the heterogeneity of the country. And that is we still do have pockets of the country that have lower rates of vaccination, higher rates of disease. And in those cases, um, those places is where I worry that the virus will be an opportunist and where um, it has the potential to wreak havoc again. And, And that does lead to the question whether or not you think the country may be moving a bit too fast in reopening. I think a lot of people kind of you get the sense that a lot of Americans think it's over here. Uh, Air travel is way up. Hotel bookings are way up. States are opening up too fast. You know, I think um, America's tired. We're all tired. This has been a hard, lonely, um, sad year and a half that we've engaged. So I can appreciate with the sun shining Memorial Day weekend here people fully vaccinated, over half adult, half of American adults fully vaccinated, that they feel safe and could feel safe to go about and, and try and enjoy pieces that they, they have been neglecting for, for so long. That said, um, I do worry about the people who are not vaccinated, who are sort of taking those same practices and not taking the precautions because it is those people who I worry are less safe. And it's up to them to be on the honor system now that we have change the mask guidelines, as you know. I'm wondering, do you think you caught people off guard with that? Because we've talked to plenty of epidemiologists who were surprised. The New York Times did the same. They ran that huge article. People saying, oh, it's going to be months and months more. It happened on a random Tuesday or Wednesday, and it caught a lot of people by surprise. Did you anticipate that catching a lot of people by surprise? Because there's people who still think, oh, it's too soon to take these off. Well, so here's here was the motivation behind our um, change. One was case numbers were really starting to come down. They were down a third in the prior two weeks. They continue to drop. And as case numbers drop um, to really levels we haven't seen in over a year, people were starting to think about how they were going to open up. 
So that was thing one. Thing two is vaccines available. It is available to anybody who wants it. Um, and we have enough supply right now. We're in a fortunate position to have enough supply right now. And truly, more than 90% of Americans live within five miles of a vaccination site. So vaccine was available. It currently still is available. And then there was really a lot of evolving science just in the prior two weeks. And it continues to evolve that informed three important places. One, that the vaccine was working in the population in the real world the way it did in the clinical trials. That's not always the case, but it was really fortunately the case here. And we had more and more studies that demonstrated somewhere between 90 and 97% effectiveness when people were vaccinated. Two, that it was working against the variants we had. We all had concerns of whether this vaccine was actually going to work against this UK variant, the B117, that is now the predominant strain here in the United States. And three, the clinical trials did not look at um, whether if you got vaccinated, you could potentially still transmit if you got disease. And increasingly, there were data to suggest that that was a very rare event, that you would not be a necessarily an asymptomatic carrier um, and be able to transmit um, in, a, in a wide fashion. So those areas of science really were amounting over the prior several weeks that really felt like now was the time for us to make that announcement. You know, uh, as we get into the Memorial Day weekend, and as I mentioned, more and more people are, are traveling by plane. I know a lot of people are kind of puzzled by the CDC guidance, uh, especially for vaccinated people, about uh, being able to wear or not wear masks indoors or outdoors. And I know people are asking, well, if that's the case and if I'm vaccinated and if the data are showing that it's not unlikely that I would be a asymptomatic uh, transmitter of the virus. Why do I still need to wear a mask on an aircraft? And as you know, the airlines have been met with with lots of cases of angry passengers, and almost all are passengers who don't want to wear masks. Right. This is a really important question, and we're getting this a lot. Um, the requirement, so we, CDC puts out guidance, and that was really like what individuals who are fully vaccinated to, can do. And I want to distinguish that from the requirement of wearing a mask on public transit and in transportation hubs, which is actually a federal order. Um, so there are many forms of public transportation that include a large number of people vaccinated and unvaccinated. They are in small spaces and really they don't necessarily have a choice as to who they're sitting next to or who they're sitting with. Um, it's in many of these uh, public transports are necessary modes of transportation for people's livelihoods. They're densely populated. They can be in confined spaces. And it's given those distinguished distinctions that um, we have decided um, that we are currently still requiring mask wearing on planes, buses, trains, and other forms of public transport. And that will be um, uh, uh, something that we're going to be continuing to look at. When you were talking about, um, you know, evolving science a moment ago, I remember a conversation we had just yesterday with a doctor at UCSF about booster shots and whether they will be needed someday for these vaccines. And she was saying, you know, I think our memory cells are, are going to remember that they're going to do what they're supposed to do. The antibodies can drop off, but these won't. So maybe it'll be years or maybe it's just certain groups that will require boosters. When will we know something more concrete about that? 
So the first thing I think I just want to make sure everybody understands is that if you've been fully vaccinated, while we're having all this conversation about booster, you are protected today. So there's been some confusion and people have thought, well, if I'm going to need a booster later, I'll wait to get my vaccine later. And what we're saying is, no, please get vaccinated now because you're protected today. And the real question about boosters is, will we need them? And if so, when we need them? When will we need them? I, that science is currently evolving. We're actively looking at how um, our immune systems do remember um, and how that might vary from host to host. But we're doing the science and we really do just wanna be prepared because let's also remember that among the first people who we vaccinated, were the most vulnerable, people who were elderly, people who were in nursing homes and, and long-term care facilities. And so they may be the ones who might have immunity that lasts the shortest. And so we really do want to make sure we're ready if we need it. And it, it, it is interesting, though, doctor, and, and uh, I always say this to be transparent, uh, I, I was, I still am in the, in the Pfizer vaccine trial. Having said that, I wonder if the pharmaceutical companies aren't jumping the gun because the CEOs, as I'm sure you know, of both Pfizer and Moderna have already indicated that they think we will need a booster shot. They've even kicked around the notion of perhaps by the fall. And when I read that and when I heard that, I went back to look at the data and the data doesn't seem to yet support that at all. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to sort of do the science around it. I, I am grateful to the pharmaceuticals companies who are willing and wanting to step in and help us be prepared should we get there. But I also, as you know, don't necessarily want to jump the gun. We want to make sure we, we save it for when we need it. Do you think we're going to reach the president's goal? For the vaccinations by July 4th, because something I keep coming back to is you can say all the facts about the vaccines and, and we do and we have for months and months and months. But if it's somebody's gut feeling that they don't want it or they don't think they need it or they feel strong enough to beat COVID, they don't think it's that bad. Nothing's going to break through that or, or does something break through that? And what is it? Um, so I'm an optimistic heart, and I do plan to work hard to make sure that we do achieve the president's goal. And I have every um uh, every belief that our hard work will pay off. We need to meet people where they are. We knew at some point there was going to be a discussion, uh, a, a time when people were not coming to get vaccinated in droves and we were going to have to go one by one, door to door, you know, community by community and um, answer people's individual questions about vaccination. And that time has come. Um, I was in rural Georgia just last week and talked to the community about how they were getting their folks vaccinated. Um, they were showing up with vaccines at changes of shift at four in the morning. And when they did so, people got the vaccine. Um, so I really do think that now's where we roll up our sleeves and do the, the hard work. And we at CDC are happy to partner with anybody who is interested in doing that with us. I think I heard you yesterday, I think it was, uh, say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you thought that uh, schools should have in-classroom uh, instruction as opposed to remote. I, I think I got that right. Am I right about that? You did, in fact. Okay. At the congressional uh, hearing. At the congressional hearing yesterday, yes. Um, yet, as you probably know, while New York City, the largest school district in the country, uh, is going back to exclusively in-class learning come the fall. Here in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Unified School District is planning on a mixed 
uh, semester where some people can go into the class, some remote. And I'm wondering what you think about that medical point of view. You know, I do think by the fall we will have, we, we spent the month of March working to get our educators vaccinated and we're able to, to get over 80% of teachers with just one dose, with at least one dose in the month of March. So we know we're well on our way to getting our educators um, fully vaccinated. I'm really hopeful that um, with the uh, approval of, or I should say the um, the endorsement of ACIP and the authorization of the FDA, um, we now have a vaccine for 12 to 15 year olds. And um, so I'm really hopeful that a lot of work will be done over the summer to make sure that our teens and tweens are able to get vaccinated. And then there's enormous data now that has demonstrated what we can do to keep our schools safe. We now also have a lot of resources, um, thanks to resources from the American Rescue Plan to do testing in schools which we didn't have before this started, routine screening um, for our students. So I really do believe that we have the tools, um, the strategies, the mitigation strategies um, that we need to get our kids back to school. In your view then, is LA doing the wrong thing? You know, as I said, I think we need to go community by community um, and understand what is happening in those communities. Um, there may be certain situations where you would want to maintain the option if you had immunocompromised kids, immunocompromised teachers. We do want to make sure that people um, are feeling safe themselves. So I, I, you know, a lot of this would have to be community driven. There was something else in the headlines yesterday. It was the president saying to the intelligence community, redouble your efforts, figure out if this was natural, you know, cross species, or if it was a, a lab accident, because it's maybe a possibility. Do you lean one way or another? And do we ever really know 15 months later? How can we look back, especially if maybe those in China don't want to cooperate? What we do know is that Many sister coronaviruses, the SARS-1, as well as MERS, another coronavirus, have jumped from animal to human. We know that's possible, and we've seen that. Um, but I don't think we have enough information, enough data right now to be able to make a, an assessment one way or another. As we understand it, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, doctor, uh, the CDC has stopped tracking uh, mild cases of, of uh, COVID and vaccinated uh, people, the so-called breakthrough infections. And if that's the case, as you probably know, there are some people who have gotten these breakthrough cases who are concerned about that because they think that the data then will not be generated to show what happens to these people long term, even though vaccinated. So why was that decision made? So we are um, reliant on passive uh, communications from hospitals and, and uh, healthcare settings and, and state departments of health um, on breakthrough infections. What we do when we get that information, certainly the trials looked at disease severity and hospitalization, and that's exactly where we really want to be focused because, in fact, mild asymptomatic infection is, um, in my mind, uh, if you can't give it to somebody and you have asymptomatic infection, that is the vaccine working. Um, so what we really want to know is to understand, for those who get admitted, can we get some clinical information about the people who are admitted to the hospital, the people who might unfortunately pass, 
um, and understand their clinical syndrome, what it is about them as a host, and then understand what it is about the virus, if we can get the virus sample as well. Um, what we've been finding is that it's very hard, um, if not impossible, to be able to get that information um, from people who are not in the hospital and for people who are yeah, so for people who have um, asymptomatic disease, they, they never even present to care. So um, from the purposes of what we want the vaccine to do, preventing symptomatic severe disease, um, we're targeting our, our efforts in that area. Doctor, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Coming up after this short break, maybe work from home wasn't such a great idea for businesses. Lots of workers enjoyed working from home, still do. There's been talk about making a home office work hybrid post-pandemic. That way, workers have more flexibility. But the whole work from home thing getting a bit messy, not as smooth as businesses and workers had hoped in some cases. So what's going wrong? Christy Woolsey, Associate Director of the Boston Consulting Group. Amy Edmondson, Professor of Leadership Management, Harvard Business School. Christy, let's start with you. Work from home sounds great for people, but uh, it's kind of complicated, right? Well, what we've, what we've found, and we've done a lot of surveying, is that there, people do want to come back to the office. Like, they don't want to come all the time, maybe not even every week, but they miss that social interaction. And that's particularly true when we look across generations. Younger people tend to want to be back in the office, um, you know, faster than, than older people. But what companies are right now trying to figure out is that balance between how do we how do we allow people to have that flex that you know kind of hybrid working model that we think is going to be the norm uh, post pandemic. Amy, do you foresee a situation where maybe there are some pitfalls that we uh, haven't realized yet once we get into this hybrid work zone? I, I, I can think of like a bait and switch that, oh, it seems nice at first. And then eventually they're like, you know what? No, I think you should all be here all the time. I think we should be wary of, of, of suggesting that either answer is necessarily bad for one side or the other. I think there's a, a tendency to frame this now that the employers want everyone back, and then and the you know employees don't want to go back. And I'm, I I think and I think Christy mentioned this too. It's not that simple. Many people very much miss the office. They miss their colleagues. They miss the easy interaction, the the effortless sort of touching base quickly on something without having to set up a hour long Zoom call uh, to do it. But I think it's a complicated equation that is going to take a lot of iteration. To figure it out. It's, we're not going to sort of design it and then say, okay, this is it for the duration. There's going to be uh, something that we, we experiment with and then we see how it goes and we tweak it and, and we keep moving forward. Christy, is this, though, uh, a discussion in office, work from home, either or, that is really a, a, a kind of privileged discussion? that people tend to have who occupy higher socioeconomic groups and in jobs that allow them the luxury of working from home. I mean, a lot of people have the kinds of jobs where it was never a question about working from home during the pandemic, and it certainly isn't now. 
that that is absolutely a challenge that we're that we're going to be dealing with more and more. And I think when we when we think about this kind of hybrid future of work, we like to think about it in terms of remote work effectiveness. And if you are in a job where you're actually touching equipment, um, you know whether it's the whether it's the person uh, cleaning the floor or the the scientist in the lab, like you you've got to be in that space to do that. If you've got the kind of job where where it's it's fairly uh, routinized, maybe there's a script, you're punching a time clock, um, then then you don't really need to be in the office at all. Um, and so this is really a conversation about all those people in between who can do some piece of their work um, fully remote, um, but they need to get together for you know, human beings. We collaborate better when we can see all the body language and you know we can have those side conversations. You know, so if you do a lot of collaboration, you probably need to be in person a little bit more often. Um, and and I and I do think that there's going to end up, you know, that a lot a lot of companies are dealing with the kind of haves and have nots in terms of that that flexibility. It's it's absolutely something that's going to have to be dealt with. Amy, how much of this falls on working moms, uh, obviously dealing with the kids at home when they've been at home, but school schedules are still a little bit goofy. You've got hybrid there, and you're going to have to try and pull off hybrid at work, maybe too. I think that's the main reason why we can expect this to be a moving target because the, the schools are, are opening up at different times and different schedules. And it does, in fact, as you say, fall more on the women at home to sort of manage that unpredictability of schedules and who's home and who needs help. But I, I, I really agree with, with Christy. We, have to start with the nature of the work. What does the work require from people? How much interdependence is there? How much is the work requiring our proximity to do it well? For some tasks, uh, that's mission critical. For others, we can do them from a distance. Is there, Christy, uh, suspicion still, and, and I say still because there used to be a lot before the pandemic, uh, on the part of employers that workers who are working from home, and I'm putting the word home and working in quotation marks, uh, are really goofing off a lot of the time. Make sure you move the mouse every 30 minutes. Yeah, exactly, right. right. Yeah. (laughs) So one of the the organizational things that's going to come out of here is – you know, we, we used to call it managing by butts and seats. <laughs> if your butt is in your seat, then you're doing your job. Um, and we're really going to, organizations are going to have to move to a model of managing by outcomes. Like what can we measure? And it can't be, you know, the move in your mouse, which is the equivalent of sitting in your seat. Um <laughs> You know, um, but really learning to kind of chunk up the work, right? So, so you have a two-week deadline, not a six-month deadline, you know, and to work in a much more agile fashion. Some people have, you know, heard of like agile workflow. Um, that seems to be something that works better in this remote slash hybrid environment. Um, but yeah, we're going to have to manage people differently um, in order to, to not have the, that, in order to build that trust. Christy Woolsey, Associate Director, the Boston Consulting Group. Amy Edmondson, Professor of Leadership Management at the Harvard Business School. Do you want to fly for free? Yes. Well, yeah, so do I. You can if you get vaccinated. United Airlines offering members of its loyalty program a chance to win free flights if they upload a copy of their vaccination record to the airline's app or website. United will give away 30 pairs of round-trip tickets for two throughout June. It will also give five customers a year's worth of free flights for two 
which will be announced on the 1st of July. United is among many big companies offering incentives for the vaccinated. Krispy Kreme has been offering a free donut a day to anyone showing proof of vaccination. I don't know. If I had a choice between... I feel a, like those things are very different. I know. Yeah. A free flight or a free donut. Well, a free mm. flight, free donut, free flight, free donut. Yeah. yeah I'll see you in New York. Uh, <laughs> you can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. 